Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. As I'm recording this on the 30th of August, 2020, from the United States, I want to ask you, can you see any good coming out of our present situation? Well, stay with me, because if you can't yet, you're going to. And what you will see is really good. It's the best. Right now, we're in what seems to be a very uncertain time. The virus is still going, maybe even stronger. People's health is suspect. The economy's in a weird place. Government, schools, civil unrest, all going on. Changes every day. It can seem like everything is out of control. Now, for religious people, those who believe in and live by the if-then paradigm, these times are shaking their faith. They've been in a belief that if we believe right, if we obey God, if we have enough faith, if we do all the things our religious organization tells us to do, well, then God's going to bless us and good things are going to happen and we're going to avoid all these bad things. But things aren't any better for them than non-religious people. They get sick, their loved ones get sick, some die, they lose their jobs, their businesses shut down, their churches can't meet, their bank accounts empty, their kids are getting depressed and being shut in, they're afraid. And for non-religious people, people who believe in some form of karma, like, well, if I'm just a good person and do good things, do good more than bad, then good things will happen to me. Well, they're in the same boat. All these people are uncertain, afraid, scared, worried. And even if they're not, if they just turn on the news for a few minutes, let alone an hour, pretty soon they're going to be afraid, uncertain, scared, and worried. There was a similar, although much worse, human situation 2,000 years ago in the nation of Israel. In Israel at that time, the religion and government and society were all lumped in together. They were all one system. And Everybody there believed in Adam's dark, religious, if-then, small-g God. People in other countries had their own versions of similar gods because everybody had inherited some sort of an incorrect version of God from Adam and Eve. Well, Jesus' followers, in about the year A.D. 35, after they'd been with Jesus for three and a half years, they were starting to change their minds. They eventually did believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but they still thought that God Almighty was Adam's dark, religious, if-then, small-g God. They believed that they were friends with Jesus, that he would protect them from that dark, religious, almighty God and bless them. He would be their Savior, and he would save them from their enemies, and he would save them from God's wrath. Well, they were slowly changing their mind. 
Here was their situation. The 12 disciples and many others of Jesus' followers, he he had a whole bunch. Actually, when he died, there were 150 that waited in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. But at different times, he had different amounts of people following. But at least with the 12, they had each given up seemingly everything. They left their families, their businesses, their jobs, their income, their way of life. They left it all to follow Jesus. And they hoped Jesus would be the Messiah, the one who would overcome the occupying Roman army, who would restore Israel to being the number one superpower in the world. He would be the one who came from King David's royal family. He would be the next King David, the world leader. And their friends and family thought, you guys are crazy. But they went with Jesus and they saw Jesus do miraculous things. All kinds of healings, blind people, lame people, crippled people. They saw him raise people from the dead. They saw him feed thousands of people with just a handful of food. They saw him stop storms on lakes. They saw him walk on water. They obviously knew he had some connection to God. And, of course, they heard him teach like no other. They heard him teach with great authority. and Nobody had ever done teaching the way he did. And he taught a different thing than the Jewish rabbis taught. They heard him referred to God as his father. And they wanted to see his father from a distance, of course. They didn't want to get very close to God Almighty because, you know, they believed in a God of wrath and vengeance. Now, they knew Jesus was powerful. They knew he was otherworldly. They knew he came from God in some way or another. They thought that he'd soon be their nation's leader and they would be his team that was in charge and ran the whole country, the whole world, really. They even argued over which one of them would have the most authority. They wanted him to call down fire from heaven, to toast a whole town that was against them, just to incinerate them, because that's what they thought God was like. They believed in Adam's dark religious God who had favorites, who would bless them if they did well enough, but could be very vindictive and even send fire down on and destroy people that were their enemies. Well, that's the situation they were in. It was time for Passover, the Jews' most highest and holiest observation of the year. And they were in Jerusalem, and all kinds of people were there. This was just a few days after Jesus' triumphal entry into the city where throngs of people crowded the street around him and yelled, Hosanna, praise God, glory to the highest. So they thought it was time for his kingdom to come. Well, Jesus got them together the night before he died in what we call the Last Supper, and he had a little talk with them. They had to think, he's going to tell them all their dreams are about to come true. But no. He said, listen up, guys. It's not going to be what you thought. Actually, I'm leaving. I'm going away. I know I told you to come with me, but I'm going away and you can't come with me anymore. But I am going to prepare a wonderful place for you. And I'm going to send another person, another in the original meaning there, when he said it meant one just like me. He said, I'm going to send somebody just like me, but they'll be invisible who will actually live inside of you. I'll no longer be your teacher, but this other invisible person is going to be your teacher. I'm leaving and you won't be able to see me, Uh, but then you will be able to see me and you'll do even greater things than I've done. Uh, And then you'll be with me where I am. Oh, and by the way, the father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen him. He's in me and I'm in him and we're in you. And a day's going to come when you're going to see what all this means. 
I can just imagine those guys looking around, the 12 of them, at each other and going, did you understand that? Did you? Did I hear what he just said? Did I miss happy hour? I mean, what's he been drinking? Wait a minute. He said it's going to be over, and we left our jobs and our income and our families and our way of life because we believed he was the man, and we're going to be the man, the next in command, and now he's leaving, and we can't go with him? But he's sending an invisible teacher who's going to live inside of us and talk to us from inside of us? Oh, man. Looks like it's all going to be over. And we're going to have to go back to our families who told us we were crazy for following him and beg for forgiveness and our jobs back. It was a seemingly very dark time for them. Now, John, who was Jesus' closest friend here on earth, John, who remembered and recorded much of what Jesus said, recorded something that Jesus said earlier that day before their Last Supper meeting. In John 12, verse 35 and 36, he writes that Jesus said, You will have the light shining with you for only a little while longer. While you still have me, the light, the light of the world, walk in the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. For when you walk in the dark, you have no idea where you're going. So believe and cling to the light while I'm with you so that you will become children of the light. After saying this, then Jesus entered the crowd there in Jerusalem and hid himself from them for a little while. Well, we've been learning that most of what Jesus said, parables and lots of other things, things like John wrote down that he said and Paul and and others, always have much deeper meanings than just surface-level elementary school stuff. The obvious elementary school meaning here had to do with their physical situation, what was happening economically and socially and politically with, with the government, the powers that be. But Jesus knew, of course, that people and government, social systems come and go. And Jesus was about something way more important, something unseen, something that lasts forever, though, several layers deeper. There was a more important meaning. Well, 55 years later, John was putting all this together. He was seeing what really is. He wrote the summary of Jesus' life, work, and message and his finished work on the cross in one verse. In 1 John 1, 5, he said, This is the life-giving message that we heard him share. This is it. It's still ringing in our ears 55 years later. So now we repeat his life-giving message to you. Here it is. God is pure light. And in God, there's not even a trace of darkness. When he wrote that, John remembered how 55 years earlier, the disciples were worried about their immediate situation, just like we're tempted to worry and be afraid in 2020 in our immediate situation. He remembered in the midst of that what Jesus told them. And John wrote down in John 14, verse 1, he says, Don't worry or surrender to your fear. Yeah, I know you're going to become afraid. You're going to be tempted to be afraid, but don't surrender to it. See, he's speaking at a much, much, much deeper level than their actual situation at hand. He's speaking big picture, true, eternal reality. He's saying, don't walk in the darkness. Don't live in the darkness. Don't let the darkness get you down. Now, you got to know what darkness is. Darkness was people's belief in Adam's dark, religious, small g, God. That's what spiritual darkness is. 
has nothing to do with moral behavior. It's believing in Adam's dark, small-g, religious God, who's anything but light. He said, instead, walk in my light, be children of the light. Now, the Apostle Paul took what he learned directly from the teacher, 13 years in the Arabian desert, and he wrote this, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. This was after he had been shipwrecked several times, spent all night and a day in the ocean clinging on to a board, after he'd been beaten with 39 lashes three times. One time was enough to kill a person. Three different times he was beaten. He'd been imprisoned. He'd been stoned to death and left for dead. He'd been shunned. All kinds of bad things had happened to him. Here's what he said. We view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparisons. Because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. What you can see with your physical eyes, what's going on around you in the government, society, and economics and everything, is dark. Right now, it's a dark time, but what's unseen is in the light. Well, what is unseen? What is it that we can't see with our human eyes? The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 1, faith is the evidence, the assurance of things we can't see with our human eyes. Well, whose faith? I mean, do we have to come up with this faith? It's Christ's faith the faith of Christ. Paul, who had believed in Adam's dark religious God and had bought into that system, hook, line, and sinker, Paul found out things were different. And here's what he wrote in Galatians 2.20. He said, my old identity, who I was when I believed in Adam's dark God, has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives, for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one, Jesus, lives his life through me and as me. We live in union as one. My new life, he said, is empowered by the faith of the Son of God, who loves me so much that he gave himself up for me. And now he dispenses his life into mine. And that's true for all of us. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say in Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Well, how do we do that? We can't see Jesus with our human eyes, only with our spiritual eyes. Jesus said one time, he who has eyes to see, spiritual eyes, let him see. Seeing Jesus means seeing who the only true God is. Pure light with no trace of darkness. Pure goodness, pure unconditional love, pure grace. Seeing Jesus 
means seeing who God really is. Where do we get the spiritual eyes to see that? How do we use them? Well, we ask the teacher, the Holy Spirit of Christ, the invisible one who's in us, to show us. Ask them to show you the great cloud of witnesses. Don't just throw off that phrase. Ask them in your quietness to show you the great cloud of witnesses that's surrounding you right now and actually always has been. In that great cloud of witnesses are going to be people who've gone before, your family and friends, teachers, different people who've gone before, all the way back to forever. In that great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, invisible, but God can open our eyes so we can see them, I know. And you know what they witness? They witness, they proclaim, they continually tell us that God is pure light with no trace of darkness. They tell us that God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pure light, pure goodness, pure love, pure grace, perfect in all of that, is the only true God, and Adam's dark religious God doesn't exist. It was a figment of our imagination. That's what they witnessed because they know that now. They are with the only true God, and they know what he's like. They are witnessing that to us, and the Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. Then in that verse, the writer says, lay aside the sin that so easily encumbers and entangles us. Do you know what that sin is? That's the sin falling short. That's the sin of believing in Adam's dark, religious, small-g God. That's the sin of the world that Jesus takes away. That's Adam's sin wasn't breaking moral rules. It wasn't defying God. It was missing the mark of who the only true God really is and immediately inventing in his mind a dark religious small g God that doesn't exist, following that God and perpetuating that mindset of God in all people after that until Jesus came. That's walking the sin that so easily entangles us is going back into that mind belief that many of us had hammered into us that, oh, God's watching you. He's going to get you if you mess up, uh, all of this kind of stuff. That sin easily entangles you. Just stay away from that and fix your eyes on Jesus, who's not like that. Lay that false belief aside. We've got to do that to fix our eyes on the real Jesus, the only true God who is pure light with no trace of darkness, darkness. Because as long as we picture God with even a trace of darkness, as long as we picture Jesus with even a trace of darkness, well, we can't fix our eyes on the real Jesus. But when we do see the only true God, pure light, with no trace of darkness, who is pure love and pure grace and pure goodness and is for us and who's included everyone, then we see and live in a different unseen realm. Then no matter what's going on around us, in our current situation, is can have any power over us. It literally becomes a light and momentary trouble that, yeah, we're going through us, but it's no big deal. 
We go back and remember what I mentioned earlier, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. As Paul said, we view our slight, short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what's seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. We fix our eyes on Jesus, and we don't stop there. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say in 1215, watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace and make sure that no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. When someone misses the revelation of God's grace, when somebody misses who God really is, and they still believe in Adam's dark, false, religious, small-g God, then they're going to focus on the world situation, on the news, going to blame other people, going to blame the government, the healthcare leader, the decision makers, going to blame Adam's dark, religious God. Oh, God, it was the woman you sent me. That's No. See, (laughs) we'll blame people that don't believe in that dark, religious God. And that bitterness just causes problems and judgment and exclusion and everything bad. And it poisons the hearts of many people. So he says, make sure nobody misses the revelation of God's grace. So here's our takeaway. Jesus may or may not change the worldly system for us the way we want it. We may not get back to sports and restaurants and church meetings and things the way we would like to have them. But those things, yeah, we miss those and they're nice things, but they're not what's ultimately important. See, even if things don't change in the world, Jesus spoke at a much deeper level. And he said, don't worry or surrender to your fear. Walk in the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you. When you walk in the light, you're experiencing Jesus. But when you walk in the dark, you have no idea where you're going. So believe and cling to the light because you know wherever you go, Christ goes with you. The most important thing for us to know and to live is that Jesus, Papa, and the Holy Spirit live in us. They're the invisible one, the three-in-one that Jesus said was coming. And they made us their permanent home. We are a room, a mansion that Jesus went to prepare for us. And they're not going anywhere. And they are pure light, pure love, pure grace, pure peace, pure goodness. They are totally for us. And they are continually working all things together for the good of all people. Fix your eyes on Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And see to it that nobody misses him. Wow, that's really good news. Hope this has been encouraging to all of you and inspirational. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks for being with me for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.